With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Hammer and Rails podcast. I am Casey Bartley on the Hammer and Rails. I am with the legend of Sean McCarthy, Drew Schneider, all the way from Manhattan, Kansas. How are you doing, Drew? Living life in man happiness, man. <laughs> I, you're, I'm glad you already have a nickname for the place. Uh, I, it's not my nickname, apparently, what some people refer to it as. <laughs> Your nickname is, this is not Texas, so it's great. Yeah, I was going to say about Manhattan is I really like Manhattan. I just wish it wasn't in the middle of Kansas. <laughs> yeah, that, it seems like the place fallout will happen. Yeah, well, we've got this giant military base. Right? Fort Riley is right, right down the road from me. The cool thing about Manhattan is when they really get doing their like training drills and stuff, my house shakes like every night because <laughs> they're firing off giant howitzers. Oh, good. I know. Nobody told me about that shit when I moved in. Of like, course not. It wasn't mentioned until like we were laying in bed one night, and I was like, whoa, my, what is that? Are we dying? Yeah, earthquake? <laughs> Just Get like, the child. Doom, doom, doom. And then you start hearing, like, they start shooting off their 50 cals, and you start you can hear that, too. So it's quite interesting. I would imagine the cool thing about living in Manhattan is you say you live in Manhattan, and then for a few seconds, people yeah. think you live in New York City. Yeah, yeah. No, I live in a nice big house in Manhattan. And they're like, <laughs> oh, my God. I've got a yard. Yeah, yeah. No, this house in Manhattan would be Manhattan would be actually quite uh, pricey. But here, it's nothing. <laughs> Land cheap in Kansas. <laughs> well, we are here to talk about Purdue football. And Woo. we say that with a whole lot more excitement than we had last year. Even with bringing in Brom, the the fresh stink of Hazel was still strong on this team. Now we're coming off a bowl win. In general, just just to start off, how much happier are you this year knowing you're going to watch Brom, a Brom coach team? after knowing what he's capable of. It'll certainly make for some more interesting viewing. I feel like football will no longer be like, I don't know, getting like a colorectal exam, which was <laughs> the Hazel era. It was just like, oh my God, I'm going to have to make it through this. Grit your teeth, close your eyes, and pray a little bit. That just, makes a hell of a bumper sticker. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it, because the one problem when you have a, a coach who leaves your roster in shambles for four years Depth does not rebuild in just one season. So what do we have to look forward to in the 2019 recruiting class that will really come help and push Brahms program to the next level? All right. Well, first, we obviously have the headliner, which is uh, local boy George Karloftis from West Lafayette. And uh, Karloftis just has been hitting the camp scenes and uh, and everybody's starting to see just what like a freak of nature this dude is. He's big and fast and strong. 
Um, 247 Sports, which does a lot of their, I would say their best work is in the Midwest. I think they find a lot of good Midwestern players. Steve Wolfong the guy that does a lot of their evaluating. And they just shot Carl Loftus up the board from like mid-100s to they only have him ranked as the 12th best player in the nation. The best strong side defensive end, the best player in Indiana. Um, and he's like, basically, when they redo their, right now there's only 12 uh, or 10 five-star players, but as, as the season goes on, they, they give it, it sort of goes more and more. So at this point, Carl Loftus, you can pretty much consider him a, a five-star defensive end, uh, which is pretty amazing for Purdue. And he fits exactly what Holt likes to do. He likes bigger, taller uh, defensive ends who can get their hands up get in the passing lanes and, uh, you know, hold their own in the run game while still being able to get to the quarterback. And uh, that's well, what that's what he does. It's not even just rare for Purdue to land one. Just for Indiana to have one is pretty rare, yeah. weird, isn't it? I believe when we had this conversation last year, you were talking about just the recruiting scene in Indiana in general. The talent is just very low, especially when it comes to top star guys. Yeah, and, you know, that's slowly starting to change. You're starting to see not some, some bigger-name guys. There's just not a lot of of top tier talent in Indiana. You can fill your roster out with Indiana players and be a pretty good team. Um, but the top tier, the top, there's good, maybe the top five. And then there's a, usually a pretty big drop off to like, these five guys are the best and everybody else is sort of, you know, in the mix one way or another, but maybe not in that elite group. Um, and so, yeah, that have somebody this, I mean, Carl Loftus will be the top. If he were to say, end up being ranked in the top 15 nationally by the end of it that would be the best player indiana has put out in a long time um since uh hunter johnson would probably be the would be, probably be the next best guy there's been a couple other really good players but um yeah just the fact that and the fact that he plays such a uh, position like a premium position mm-hmm. too um i'm not saying that like wide receiver isn't like a premium position but you can find a lot of good wide receivers it's hard to find especially right out of the box good big defensive ends and it's just yeah and it's refreshing in. it's refreshing to see a coach who's actually you know taking care of his home ground because a lot of the stories we all heard is that hazel just ignored any moderate to good talent in his backyard for the most part yeah and you know brahms had Karloftis locked up since uh, October of 2017. He's the first recruit for the 2019 class. Yeah, no, like he is, he was part of Brahm's big share. What you need to put together a good recruiting class is you really need that sort of anchor to say, hey, look, you know, you can be a good player and come to Purdue. And you need that guy that sort of leads the way with the, you know, Purdue flag on social media and, you know, in camp. And, uh, you know, having players do recruiting for you is, especially players high caliber as Carl Loftus, huge benefit just to starting out. And especially going forward, if they do have big careers, jump in the NFL careers. Purdue's had a pretty good track record of having players that almost played better in the league than they have for us. (laughs) Like Ricardo Allen and, Yeah. Yeah. A lot of defensive linemen. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. And, uh, you know, Carl Loftus is, is a guy that just has unlimited potential. Now, that, as I said, it's all potential. And I feel, you know, sometimes I feel bad building these guys up to be the next, uh, you know, coming of Ryan Kerrigan. And that's 
that's a pretty lofty uh, perch. But Carlos is certainly, if everything works out, he certainly appears to have the attitude and the physical ability to uh, to be that sort of player. Um, now, obviously, there's no guarantees, but <clears throat> it's nice to have a guy that you know that's that's the that's the ceiling is is like really good NFL player. Yeah, and Purdue has a good track record with defensive linemen. Yeah. Uh, so the next guy we have recruited, who I see as the next highest, is Mershon Rice out of Reynoldsburg, Ohio. Yeah. Now he's got that fun little tag of athlete. He's most likely going to be come in as a wide receiver. Um, he can play wide receiver or safety. I would almost be more interested in seeing him play safety just because we've done a really good job of recruiting wide receivers and we've had been hit and miss at safety. Uh, but I think he's going to come in and be a wide receiver, at least initially. Um, you know, he's a pretty big kid, 6'2", 200 pounds. He's Again, another big. guy that, another guy that's coming in that's physically ready to play. And I think that's been sort of a big um, push for Brom in certain positions is having – as you mentioned, the roster wasn't super uh, great coming when he entered, to say the least. So he's been looking for guys that can come in and physically compete day one. Um, he's how much of a what's that? how much of a premium does Brown put on receivers in his offense? Um, you know, I think that's that's one of the marquee uh, positions and how how you can sort of go about building a team. And this is, you know, I, I follow, you know, right for Clemson as well. And this is basically how Clemson put together where they are now is they started out with the skill positions, um, getting the, the, the five-star skill position guys, and maybe a couple of guys on defense. And then you sort of build up the excitement and you score a lot of points. And all of a sudden the defensive guys and the offensive linemen say, Oh, okay, we'll be cool to, to, to come here. Um, so picking up these skill position guys and sort of building excitement around the program is uh is going to be crucial for purdue moving forward um and i think i feel like getting guys like rice or um you know the guys we got last year ahmad anderson and rondale moore moore is pretty big for a receiver as well correct no 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 Moore is no. pretty small for a receiver if moore was bigger he would have been a, a, a higher profile recruit okay. uh He's uh Rondell's like five nine maybe oh. uh five they have him listed as five eight and a half uh, 175 pounds so he's more of a, bit, a sort of explosive slot receiver um, now we did get like a guy like Corey Taylor last year who's six five two hundred yeah you're thinking Corey Taylor who's six five two hundred coming in um, another guy that like I said physically ready to compete from day one in those positions so that's a good mix of of big and then small receivers it sounds like. Yeah, that's what you'll see. You'll see Purdue. You'll see us go big on the outside and short little guys in the slot. And in the bowl game, I mean, our receiving core last year was not talented Mm -mm. and definitely not fast. Well, you, they had a, we had a couple guys that were fast but had other issues. Uh, the, our JUCO guys, I felt like, were fast. One of them was hurt, and, and Zico just, for whatever reason, could not catch the ball consistently, which was a major problem with all our receivers. And Brown was still able to find them for, I mean, that's how we won the bowl game, just consistent isolation one-on-one on the outside. Yeah, throws. yeah no, we found Mahungu, who could not catch anything, and then finally... I was not going to attempt his name. Yeah, so fine. I, 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 hopefully, Anthony, if you're listening, I hope that was a close approximation. 
but um, he uh, he caught fire, and, and that's the sort of outside. That's what Brom does. It's a really almost like a, it's a very pro style approach where mm. he finds Brom finds a matchup he likes either through moving guys in motion or you know um, isolating guys on the outside. When he finds that matchup, he's gonna he's going to pound on it until they do something to stop it, and then he's gonna go look someplace else. And we've got the quarterbacks with the arms who throw good deep balls, so yeah. definitely going forward makes me very excited. Yeah. No. Uh, let's move on to the next guy, running back 5'11", 190, Dijon Hewitt out of Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah, this dude is uh, he is a lot like uh, Markel Jones in the fact that he is puts up absolutely insane numbers in, in high school, uh, but he plays at a small high school, and it's sort of hard to tell how much is that of is his greatness and how much of it is just he's just better than everybody on the field. Um, so his junior year, he ran for 2,352 yards uh, on 207 carries and averaged over 11 yards per carry, scored 41 touchdowns. Like, and you see some of those numbers and you, know, you get a little suspicious. You're like... I mean, uh, a lot of that is, you know, put him in 4A or 5A in, in Georgia, and that's those aren't going to be his numbers. He's still going to be a good player. Right. I mean, you still have to have the vision to see those to break out. You still have to have some top-notch speed to get there. Oh, so. yeah. Well, the big thing is he's he's faster than everybody he plays against. So once yeah. he gets into that second level, it's all over. And, but he's getting chased down by, like, you know, <laughs> you <laughs> or Kyle. <laughs> Sure, but you also have to assume he's going against like nine person boxes too, which yeah. I guess helps with the long runs. Yeah, and so and you know as, as a as a sophomore, he gained sixteen hundred yards and had twenty three touchdowns. Um, so he's he's going to be a guy that's going to come in. He's certainly not going to lack for confidence because he's used to being the man uh, on his team. Which is funny because now when you look at running backs, there is no more man. It's by committee. Which yeah, is fine. So at least he should have a specific set of skills, some plays that now that we have a coach who's capable of using multiple talented running backs yes. should be I mean he's a, promising. And he's thing. gonna be like Markel coming in. He's a big dude right now. He's like five eleven, one ninety five, so expect him to add another five to ten pounds just filling out. So you know, he'll hit campus five eleven and 200 205 that's a that's a pretty substantial size i know running back (laughs) right out the box and then the last guy we have probably not a ton to talk about it's just a two-star from michigan city chase triplet um outside linebacker 6'3 215 looks like he he's been moved around all the linebacking positions which is good in high school at least shows he's got some versatility what do you expect from him in the college level yeah he's another guy probably the best player on his high school team and so they use him in every role uh you know any any play where they can move him around to fill a hole that's where he's gonna go so i'm watching his tape of play on inside linebacker outside linebacker i think he's being recruited as one of the hybrid sort of like um danny zichuku last year sort of the hybrid end uh linebacker position uh, where he's gonna sometimes he's gonna come down and put his hand on the ground and rush the passer. Sometimes you're gonna expect him to you know drop out and play coverage. <clears throat> when I was sort of mentioning it earlier, uh, Purdue right now, from what I've seen, is they recruit for a purpose, uh, and so they're gonna bring in guys that they have a specific idea of how they want to. Um, sounds like cheating. <laughs> They, they know when they're coming in, like, this is 
the role we want this guy to play. And I felt like too often in the Hazel era, they're just we just we get guys and they have no idea how to use them or we just wouldn't use them. They'd be interesting players with a certain skill set. Because when you're looking at like two star, three star guys, and what you're looking to try to find is somebody with an elite skill, like one thing that they can do that you can get them on the field and then try to sort of build up the rest of their game. And uh, it sounds like for him, it might be versatility. Yeah. Because that is a skill. Yeah. No, it looks like it's going to be versatility rushing the pass from the out, from that, from that outside, being able to be a guy that can play outside linebacker or put his, put his hand on the ground. Obviously he'll probably be a guy that comes in at red shirts, which is another sort of thing that we're doing with recruiting is we're looking down the line and saying, all right, we're going to bring this kid in and then we're going to get him in the way room and get him in the you know get him in the nutrition program so maybe he comes in at 6215 but he probably doesn't start playing until he's you know 62235 240 and then what kind of player does he look like then as opposed to now and Purdue strength program programming really is something to look at they've been Brown brought over a staff that's been killing it off the field yeah, that's that's a huge thing, and 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 we just sort of do some more of these podcasts. I'm gonna start talking about some of our uh, assistant coaches because I really feel like Brom just knocked it out of the park with this this staff, and this is the reason why we're so involved in some players that you wouldn't think we'd have any business even being mentioned in because we've got just some great young guys that played before, that played at a really high level before college football. Um, I remember watching Chris Barclay absolutely eviscerate my Clemson Tigers when I was in, in school. You put up over 200 yards against us. Uh, in a, you know, in a single game, just ripped our guts out because he was just running over people. He runs like a little bowling ball. And like Anthony Poindexter was just this murderer in the safety uh, safety at Virginia. I remember watching him play Clemson and just blow up some of our wide receivers. So, I mean, these are guys that like people have heard of and that are, you know, young and hungry. And they're out just killing it on the uh, recruiting trail. Jamarcus Shepard, our wide receiver coach, is another guy um, just real you know personable um goes out works hard so i'm really impressed with the staff that brahms put together and of course his brother's the offensive coordinator guy that everybody that played in the nfl and you know everybody watched play at louisville so um, but we'll, definitely... we can get into more of that maybe in a different podcast yeah well and just the overall culture just what brahms has brought with like passion and energy something that was severely lacking under hazel you just, i mean that man never moved on the sideline. Yeah, and it's just a cohesive effort. I always felt mm-hmm. like, you know, Hazel, the first day of practice, all the coaches wore name tags because nobody knew who anybody else was. <laughs> it was like, who can we pull off the unemployment line? <laughs> our assistant, our coaching uh, strategy was who just got fired. And that's who we went and you know scouted. And we brought some pretty good guys in, but it's hard to really get some get loyalty and you know everybody working for uh, for a common goal when you're basically just bringing in a new set of free agents every year. And as soon as somebody shows some potential, you know another program is going to come you know scoop them up, and we're not going to fight back. Speaking of players changing programs. Obviously, the first thing you look for when a coach comes over from another program are kids he takes from that program over to his new program. Uh, This is now the second year, so it's less of that. But what can we expect from the grad transfer market that will make an immediate impact on the field this year? Well, we've already brought one in, Dennis Edwards, who, as you mentioned, was uh, or uh, is the guy that uh, comes over from Western Kentucky. 
I mean, that's probably that says a lot about what Brahms players say about him. Is all these kids from Western Kentucky want to come play for him at Purdue? Like, you know, Coach leaves. Maybe you won a lot, but you didn't really like him, or you know, whatever. You you don't have to play for that guy ever again. But these guys are coming back in and saying, yes, we want we want to graduate. We want to come to Purdue and play for Jeff Brahm because he's that you know good of a coach and we respect him that much um and edwards so dennis edwards has played under Purdue's off current offensive line coach uh dale williams before um, and he's a guy that's going to come in and be a huge part of of purdue being successful next year um now Purdue has a backup center. Obviously, Kirk Barron is entrenched in that spot. He's one of the best in the country. Um, but you know, we've got an easy backup plan for him now. We were using Victor Beach, who came in as the offensive uh, you know, tackle, who's a redshirt freshman, as our backup center. Um, and now we've got a guy like uh, Dennis Edwards, who's started at center and played in some pretty big games uh, for Western Kentucky as our backup center. He'll come in and it'll be interesting to see because it's sort of going to it gives Purdue a lot of flexibility um, in terms of our, our lineup uh, because we're going to figure out what we want to do with Matt McCann. It, it allows us to, if we want to, kick Matt McCann back out to right tackle. Um, which is where he started at Purdue, and then last year he moved inside. Um, and then, but in this spring we moved him back outside because both Hermans and uh, and uh, the other guy who also is my name, Jesus Christ, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Who's our other offensive tackle? He's a walk-on from. I have no idea. Jesus, where's my roster? <sighs> yeah, hold on. God damn it, brain is not working all the way today. Eric Swingler. Okay. Yeah, so he's a guy that comes in. Um, Swingler and Hermans were both hurt in the spring. Her, uh, Swingler's coming off a shoulder injury. Hermans obviously coming off the ACL. Uh, so McCann kicked back out to right tackle. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how Hermans comes back. If he comes back full strength, um, then obviously he's going to probably start at left tackle. Swingler is a guy that we would love to be able to use uses sort of our swing tackle like because mm-hmm. he can play either left or right tackle and that's something we would love to be able to have on the on the bench and be able to bring him in in a three tackle uh rotation uh, to keep our guys a little fresher um and bringing in dennis uh, edwards on the interior a guy you can just plug in and know that she's just, just gonna grind uh is uh you know a huge benefit um even if brom cobbled together a good offensive line it will <laughs> Kind of. It, <laughs> it's still sort of speculative. Hermans looked pretty good. Uh, you know, left tackle is the premier offensive line position, and we think we have a good one. But um, I think Hermans is going to be good and has NFL potential. But he's coming off, you know, the Purdue knee injury, mm-hmm. and um, we're going to see what he looks like moving around. Came in at like six eight two forty, and he's up to probably six eight two. Um, 95 300 he's a big kid um if he can pan out i feel like the rest we did a good job on the interior bringing in shane evans bringing in now a guy like dennis edwards and matt mccann was one of the big sort of hits in the hazel recruiting uh era so you know he played at bishop uh and i don't know how to pronounce the next part of it chattered chattered i don't know 
I don't want to offend. I should it. know, but I have no idea. <laughs> I don't want to offend anybody that went there. But they they basically ran uh, run like just a straight up running offense. Like they if they pass the ball, it surprises everybody. So the problem with McCann had as a freshman is the first time he had to pass block in a game was probably the first time he'd <laughs> pass blocked in a game. Um, but um, so we moved him inside last year, and he did a really good job. He's a big uh, mauler of dude. He's also a guy that had shoulder injuries. Um, so it'll be nice now Purdue can have a legit uh, you know six or seven guys on the offensive line that are experienced and that can play and I'm going to say that it's going to be a great offensive line but it's going to be serviceable um, I really like what we do up we're going to be able to do up the middle as far as the run game um, that was sort of the real surprise last year we were able to uh, after we sort of gotten our flow we're able to move some people off the ball in our run in the run game we really helped out a lot yeah we so, still have a bevy of talented running backs yeah. in the backfield so yeah that's uh, probably our strongest position so um well there should be some holes to run through and we were turned into from hazel air was sort of weird a lot of times we were undersized on the line but we've got a like a beefy beefy offensive line right now um and so that'll be interesting to see um if we can sort of establish that run game because that's what Braun really wants to be able to do i mean everybody talks about the passing game but even in western kentucky it was actually a really balanced attack um and the passing game opens up a lot of stuff right up the middle of the field because you spread them out and then you just pound them you can pound them between the tackles and all of a sudden those linebackers are pushed out there and the safeties are back and so you're <clears throat> you're running back to get a a good chance to go, you know, beat one guy and then, you know, be able to get get down the field as opposed to having yeah, like to run you, in like a stack. Like you said box. earlier, oh, keep going. Yeah, like you said earlier, you know, he likes to throw deep on the outside and the way you do that is by running successfully and pulling the safeties up. Yeah. And it's just a nice little duality between that. Either the safeties are back, you run on them, or they're up and, you know, you go for it all. All right. So let's we talked earlier about oh, yeah, one, how Brown likes more, to use it. We have more grad oh. transfer to talk about. Oh, oh. Yeah, well, this is a potential grad transfer. Just a little update on the Hunter Johnson situation. Hunter well, I was going to get to him. Oh, I mean, where you, we'll where go you? back to okay, him. Okay, we can cut this part. We're going to give him his own little. Okay, cool. Five stars get their own little segment. Fair enough. So uh, I, we talked about how Brom was you know, big into using red shirts, really stocking up the talent, getting them into the gym. So give me a potential breakout this year that we did not see last year because Brom put a red shirt on him. Um, so we're one for offense and one for defense. Okay. On defense, there's several actual choices here just because the depth chart is so open. I want us to talk about Alan Daniels, who's a kid out of uh, Georgia who we brought in. Um, He was, he's from Gwinnett, Georgia. 2016 first team all state um uh, big dude and he's gonna be coming six two three oh five maybe a little bit heavier um he's the sort of run stopping defensive tackle that purdue's gonna need right now we're if you want to talk about places that were shorthanded defensive tackle is one of those places we have six on the roster ideally you want to play four or five defensive tackles um so alan daniels is a is a guy that i think could come in and you look at our one known starter is Lorenzo Neal, and Lorenzo's not a guy you want to play 60, 70 snaps a game. 
he's big and he's fast, but like at six two, whatever he's weighing in at these days, three fifteen, three twenty plus, he's not a guy that you're gonna be able to ride an entire game there in the middle. Um, or even if he is, it's gonna be uh, you know diminishing returns. He's gonna be really good in the first and gaffed in the fourth. And um, what I really liked about what Holt did last year is you saw him play a lot more players. Um, mm-hmm. Everybody was was familiar with the uh, the Hazel fourth quarter implosions where our players could barely get up and drag themselves back to the line for another snap uh, because we only he'd only play 11 or 12 players um you know and we'd go poor eddie wilson out there um <laughs> he's playing with like can't his whole believe arm he didn't have more endurance yeah. can't believe he wasn't a stamina runner yeah he's he's playing like 60 snaps with his arm like casted from his elbow to his and just in a club trying trying to play so i mean we've got we'll We'll play with a lot more players, and I think Daniels, while he might not be a super sexy, record a lot of tackles uh, sort of player, he's definitely a guy that we're going to need to come in and sort of plug up the middle of the field. Um, Defensive tackle is probably the hardest position to recruit. There's just not a super a lot of great defensive tackles available. So then you've got to sort of go and decide if you want to recruit smaller guys that you can feed up or kind of fat guys. <laughs> and Hazel a lot of times guys. went... I Hazel, just want a lot of fat guys. Yeah, Hazel went with a lot of the fat guys. The problem with the fat guys <laughs> is they sort of just tend to stay fat. Uh, uh and so I think we'll see Brahms brings in a little bit smaller, smaller defensive tackles and tries to build them up as opposed, but, and hopefully they still keep their athleticism as opposed to just bringing in just big guys um, that maybe don't have quite as, aren't quite as athletic or skilled. So I really like Alan Daniels. I think you'll probably see him on the field. Um, and then and a big secret to our defense last year was that teams could not run against us. And that starts right in the middle. You don't have to send extra safety help. You don't have to, you know, worry constantly. They're going to leak holes. Yeah. If you can, if you can hold up up front, generally teams are not going to be able to, you know, get into their runs, play actions, you know, if, and that's something we saw the Hazel arrow continuously. We were really good at keeping our linebackers clean and then letting them flow to the ball and make tackles. Um, that comes, again, it's not a super, it won't be super sexy. It doesn't show up on the stats sheet, but just having guys that can uh, keep the linebackers or offensive line occupied so they're not constantly just up in the second level hunting out your linebackers um, is really important. Um, just establishing that line of scrimmage and not getting pushed back three yards. I remember watching, you know, we played Wisconsin and like the line of scrimmage would move four yards forward at the snap. <laughs> they've got a four well, yard Maryland run. did that to us two years ago yeah yeah it's like a four yard run before like the running back even encounters resistance so um, I think Daniels is the type of guy who's not going to let that happen you're definitely not going to push this dude off the ball um, he's going to hold his ground um, so I'm sort of excited to see him on defense on offense I kind of want to see Oh, it's a little more tri- challenging. Um, we redshirted some offensive linemen. I'm not sure if they're going to be ready to go yet. Mark Stickford is one guy uh, out of Carmel who's got some interesting potential. But I think by bringing in uh, 
Edwards actually sort of maybe pushes him back down a little further, probably where you should be, where this is going to be. Maybe he'll see a little bit of spot duty. Um, so I'm going to go with Tyler Hamilton, um, a kid out of sort of my home state of South Carolina. Uh, he came out of Myrtle Beach. Uh, it was sort of <laughs> he was a really weird recruit because he committed. Now, to... Hold on, you told me Hilton Head before oh, sorry. the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now you're saying Myrtle Beach. Are the sorry, you're right. I lived in South Carolina. They're not the same place. They are not. They are totally different. Places. Places. And I uh, deeply apologize to anybody from Hilton Head because Myrtle Beach is trash. It is trash. It is trash. Anyone that chooses Hilton Head or uh, Myrtle Beach over like Charleston, no. you're a terrible person. Well, the beaches in Myrtle Beach are just like mostly just uh, camel light uh, cigarette butts and maybe <laughs> some Marlboro Red. And everybody's from Ohio and is just not. Okay. I'm not. I'm not for any place that has a wax museum. Yeah, no, it's a it's a terrible tourist trap. It, 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 it sort of progressively got worse. Uh, Hilton Head is a beautiful, beautiful island. Like, yeah, that's where the you know sort of the actual people from South Carolina go. Is sort of in the low state. So yes, Tyler Hamilton from Hilton Head. Tyler, I'm sorry, I did not mean to offend you. <laughs> but I'm gonna talk nice about you now. Uh, he was a really weird recruit because he actually committed in between. Hazel being fired and Braum being hired. Oh no! Yeah, like <laughs> so he was—he's uh, a little guy, but he was—he was ranked as a four-star recruit by ESPN. He's um, an all-time Hilton Head High School leader with 45 career touchdowns. Played a running back and receiver. And it, now think about that. Remember we were talking about the uh, recruit uh, coming in from Nashville uh, mm-hmm. who had 45 touchdowns last year at, at Hilton Head High School. 45 for a career is the record. Put that in wow. perspective. Uh, but uh, he played running back and receiver. Uh, he's going to be a guy that's going to come in in the slot in play. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. He'll probably share some time with Rondell Moore. Purdue's going to use a lot of different wide receivers and a lot of different... Uh, How many slot guys do we have? We've got a lot. We've got Hamilton I mean, and then Anthrop. Anthrop is still sitting there. And then we've got Kieran Catlett, who's probably going to play in the slot, and Rondale Moore. But where we're going to see a lot of is Purdue's going to... I keep saying a lot. <laughs> we're going <laughs> to we're gonna spread the field out with four receivers and put two guys in the slot uh, on either side in some packages. And you're still going to see us go two tight ends, too. We just have so many different options. And Mm-hmm. Brom really likes to just look for those matchups. So if they're going to have a hard time, they don't have guys that can cover our tight ends. You're going to see two tight ends. If there's there's lacking in the defensive backs, then they're, you're going to see Purdue go four wide. Even you know what was really refreshing? What was that? Watching a football team that that didn't decide to if I'm going to run, I'm going to put three tight ends out there. And yeah, bunch everyone up. Oh yeah, no. And if I'm going to pass, I'm going to go five wide. Yeah, it was nice like, to see. There was a little more variance than that. Yeah, no, we. It was refreshing. We were able to adjust. That, that was the, the Brom offense is able to adjust on the fly to what the defense is doing. Now, everybody, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, you need to just dictate the game to the defense. And if the defense is good at one thing, say the defense is good at stopping the run, you don't have to run the ball against them all, the whole time. 
this is how Alabama continuously wins the SEC West, and now the SEC West is finally starting to catch on. You can't run the ball against Alabama, even if you're a running team. It doesn't work. Um, so what Alabama has trouble doing is stopping the pass. So even if so, it's it's nice to be able to, if you're a team, be able to adjust, and so you don't have to just run at the other team's strength the entire game. So for instance, uh, you know Wisconsin, they're really tough on the on the, uh, and they're they're the team. I'll mention Wisconsin a lot because they're the team. If you if you can get better than Wisconsin, you can win our division. Um, Fair enough. So. Uh, against Wisconsin, you've got to be able to spread the field out uh, because if you just get into a grinded out running game, you're going to get every time. Um, so yeah, Brom's able to, is going to be able to do a lot of stuff with uh, with Tyler personnel Hamilton. he has, um, and you're going to see multiple looks. So it's not going to be a running, you know, it's not going to be just going to pound the ball to Markel, or it's not going to just be spread the field out and throw it 70 times. It's going to be, you know, what what is the defense bad at covering that's what we're gonna that's what we're gonna do and the, the nice thing about players like tyler hamilton antwerp all these guys we saw last year brahm's screen game is impeccable he has the right timing when to call it he's got some really clever options on it and when you have multiple guys out on the field not even just counting your running back mm-hmm. that can catch a ball at the line of scrimmage and make a 15 to 20 yard play. Yeah, that makes everything that is so hard to stop. It makes everything so so much easier. You'll see a lot of uh, see several wide receiver screen uh, screen options. He runs a tunnel screen where the receiver starts on the outside and then mm. comes back inside and, and hits that scene, hits the basically slot between the tight end and the slot receiver. And you'll see him throw the outside screen where you line up three wide trips outside, and then call that the bubble screen. The bubble screen, yeah, where the two guys, two guys block at the uh, line of scrimmage, and one guy, uh, you know, drops off, um, and you just challenge them three on three. Basically, you turn football into a game of three on three. Um, your three secondary players versus our three wide receivers. Um, so yeah, a guy like Hamilton, he's going to be a guy that can also return help in the return game. He had some uh, ran for some. Uh, did that in high school, return kicks in high school. So he's another guy that could be looked out there. He and we're going to have our return game is going to go from to pretty good. And we're not going to have to put some of our big name running backs returning kicks anymore, which will be nice. Uh, yeah. I- Especially, I, I feel like, especially in the college level where everything's not booted into the back of the end zone, a yeah. strong return game is huge. I mean, that's good for just like field value. It's good for four to seven points a game. If you consistently, you know, get an extra 10 yards and right. just your average 20 yard takeout. Right. Starting starting at the 35 as opposed to the 25 is a huge advantage. Um, and just having sort of that threat at all times back there that can break it just continues to keep pressure on the other team. You can't take the kickoffs off. Um, and like I said, Purdue's going to have a lot of options back there. You won't see Mark. I You won't see DJ Knox and Markel Jones returning <laughs> kicks. Last year, probably anybody that can hold on to the ball while being tackled is an option. I mean, that's how we lost Jones in the first game. We lost him for like three or four games he blew his shoulder on a on a kick return right okay so we are running we're running a little long but i will give you two minutes to talk to me about hunter johnson all right hunter johnson right now uh clemson does the right thing 
and went in terms of uh, recruiting or releasing players and gave Hunter his full release. A lot of <laughs> teams fired. won't. A lot of teams won't do that. Nick Saban's just been a good interview talking about how he w- refuses to do that, um, but uh, how it's a terrible idea. But Hunter Hunter got his full release from Clemson, meaning he can go anywhere, um, even in the ACC, even to potential Clemson uh, opponent. So Duke has jumped into the mix. Um, For a second, I thought you were going to call Duke a rival. <laughs> Duke is gonna jump. Duke's gonna jump into the mix. I still think uh, Purdue is the most in, probably interesting option for Hunter. Um, Duke's got a hard ceiling. Duke's gonna if you can win eight nine games, Duke. That's it. I mean, that's that's the hard ceiling there. I feel like Purdue. Then again, you win nine games at Duke, you probably get the Heisman. Yeah, I mean, cut close to a really good coach. Um, Duke's an interesting place, but it's also this, the stadium is, is terrible, tiny fan bases, apathetic, even when they're winning. Um, so I, I don't see the real being somebody that's watched ACC football my entire life. I do not see the real allure of Duke. It's just not, you wrote wrote a great article on Hunter Johnson. I would recommend everyone to go look at it at hammer and rails.com. And how good is he? He's elite. He is an elite quarterback with elite NFL potential skills. Um, I mean, that's he's athletic. He's got an incredible quick release. Um, he would be the best quarterback that Purdue's had since Kyle Ward, talent-wise, uh, arm talent-wise. I, I thought we all agreed Brandon Kirsch was the second-best <laughs> quarterback at Purdue. Actually, I would say Robert Marv, arm talent-wise. <laughs> was probably the best that Purdue has had to offer since Kyle Orton, but he had knees like mine, which doesn't uh, doesn't help. Um, so Hunter Johnson is legit out of Browns uh, Brownsburg. Um, and I think Hunter, if Brom had been at Purdue, uh, I think Hunter would have been at Purdue already, like um, when he was recruiting, being recruited, um, because he fits the offense perfectly. He can do everything you want. He can run the ball. Um, and, uh, you know, at Clemson, it wasn't that he was even that far off the pace. It's just that he got beat out by a true freshman coming in. That And he'll... Hunter will have to sit out a year. Yeah, so have to sit out a year, but he didn't. So he'll come. He'll come to someone this season. Yeah, and redshirt that year. And redshirt that year. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Clemson also Which doesn't means... doesn't doesn't redshirt their freshman f- five stars regardless for this reason that if they want oh. if they want to transfer they because uh, Johnson easily could have redshirted last year for Clemson, but that would have right. put him in a tough position. Um, so they kept that, that option open for him. So transfer is not a big deal. You come in, learn the offense for a year and then uh, compete for the uh, starting position as a sophomore, as a redshirt which, sophomore. Which means for Purdue, if Hunter came 2019, not only would we have Karloftis coming, a potential five-star defensive player. Mm-hmm. We would have Hunter Johnson come in the same year to play. Right. A former five-star. And then let's just, Mr. Let's, was he Mr. Football? Yes, he was Mr. Football. He's the, so potentially 2019 could be as big of a year for Purdue. And then let's just get crazy ever. and throw David Bell into that situation uh, as, as the stud, stud wide receiver out of Indiana. 2020 national champion Purdue Boilermakers. <laughs> you heard it here. It's going to take a little more than that, but it will certainly make uh, things a lot interesting. What I'm really excited about is Brom being able to recruit at this level so early at Purdue really probably bodes well for Purdue keeping him. Do you think they've already given him one extension? Given him one extension, and he can see now that, I mean— It could work. It can work. You can get— you can get players. And that was always sort of the thing with Purdue. Oh, you can't win at Purdue because you can't get the players. But Brahms able to start bringing in the players. Purdue's a really good situation 
I think, right now as far as potential for coaches go. Yeah, because the Big Ten football-wise does not look as scary as it looked five years ago. No, no. Everybody talks about Brom going to Louisville. Just keep in mind uh, that if Brom goes to Louisville, to play in the ACC championship game, he has to be better than Clemson and Florida State. I'd yeah. rather beat Wisconsin and Penn State every year. Yeah, right? All right, so we've pretty much spent the entire podcast talking about you know how Brom everything kind of correlates to how Brom has been able to turn this program around. What he did last year was incredible. No one had any expectations. Next thing you know, we win a bowl game despite losing at the beginning of the year, our starting quarterback. Um, and then, I mean, winning those games with a guy who had a, you know, torn MCL, ACL, whatever it was. ACL. Yeah. ACL. Um, so what is he, what do we, what do we have to look forward to this year? What is Brom going to do to keep that momentum going? The recruiting's nice, but you know, Lafayette, West Lafayette, they are fickle fans. If we start losing a bunch of games again, tickets will stop selling. That has happened in basketball. It's happened in football. What does he do to keep the momentum going this year? The offense is going to be exciting. That's this last year. A lot of people talked about Brahms' offense. Last year leaned heavily on the defense, um, where there was a lot of Hazel holdovers that got put in new new spots and really and really thrived and had a lot to prove. And the offense really took a while to get going until those last four or five. Uh, you know, games of the year. Um, and so, but I think this year the offense is going to be out there scoring 30, 40 points a game. It's going to look a lot like uh, a return to the Tiller era where we're going to come out and play basketball on grass. And, and now are you still completely team Sindelar? Yes. Do you expect it to be a quarterback back and forth again though? I think bro. I think Blau will have some packages that he plays in. Um, wow, you're downgrading him to package QB. Yeah, yeah. It's just I think I think he'll have some packages to play in. He's I like David Blau. I always feel like I, I come off as like I don't like David Blau. <laughs> David Blau is a great guy, a great team leader. David Blau makes mind-numbingly stupid decisions in the worst possible times. And, but when he broke his leg, he had like a three-game stretch where he hadn't. Kind of, kind of. He still throws the ball late over the middle and two linebackers. That is his, <laughs> like, like... Linebackers can't catch, though. It's fine. The, the, when you hit him right in the numbers. They're big oafs. When you hit him right in the numbers, it just sticks in there. Like, I, he throws interceptions to linebackers and, like, defensive ends. Sindelar throws throws interceptions to, like, defensive backs down the field. 40 um, yards downfield. Yeah, 40 yards down the field. Blau just, he's good, he's good, and then just something happens. Like that Minnesota game, that people forget that was really the... <laughs> The like crucial game of the year. If Purdue doesn't beat that beat Minnesota, which we had no right to beat Minnesota that game. Um, we we don't go bowling, and Blau was terrible in that game. Through two just bad bads in the middle of the field. So I just I don't trust David Blau. I've seen him play enough. I don't I don't trust him sitting back there and throwing the ball 30 times a game. Um, but that said, he's way more athletic, and we can do a lot more stuff with the running game with David Blau, depending on how his ankle is. He's a guy that can, you can do a lot of uh, zone read, the ball outside, um, whereas Sindelar, you can maybe run a stretch play with him. That's, that's right. like the extent of he can get out to the running back maybe and make that handoff, as opposed to Blau, who can sort of get outside, and then you can move the pocket around with Blau. Sindelar, you know where he's going to be. He's going to be somewhere behind the center, 
in the shotgun. So I think that's the packages you'll see with uh, with Blau. Those will come in and uh, we'll move them around. Let me put it this way then, because I, I get what you're saying. Out of the Big Ten, how many other schools have a better QB situation than we do? I mean, Purdue, I mean as far as experience-wise, Purdue probably has the best. Now, obviously, Ohio State's got – Well, not just experience. I mean – Talent is is just as vital. You know, with Michigan bringing Shea Patterson in, that's a pretty that's pretty impressive. They'll have a pretty good. Are we sure? Because I feel like every Michigan quarterback has sucked for ten years. <sighs> yeah, they can't they can't grow their own. But Patterson was really good at Ole Miss. Uh, I'll believe it when I see it. They've so, had four and five star guys that have just been garbage. Yeah, no, I think Jim Harbaugh has this weird reputation as this quarterback whisperer. It's because he had Andrew Luck. And yeah, that's it. Yeah, and, like, but uh, yeah, he's not. I, I could have coached Andrew Luck in college. I haven't seen it at Michigan. Um, his offense is stuck somewhere in like 1987, and uh, along with his pants, I think Jim Harbaugh is the most overrated coach in college football. Snap! You heard it here. I can't think of a better way to end this, actually. That works. Uh, Drew, thank you for joining us. We will spend all summer podcasting, diving deep. As you heard, Drew wants to talk about all our assistant coaches. He wants to get down in the nitty-gritty. And we will have that for you throughout the year. We're going to probably try to do this once once every week, maybe once every couple weeks. Uh, Drew, any last words? Nope, things are looking good. Full steam ahead right now. Good no, nice. This is we are living in the best possible Purdue football timeline right now. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening, and everyone, uh, check your Twitter or your uh, your iTunes feeds. Your I think we're on Stitcher. Yeah, wherever so. we're at, it'll be in the post. Um, and go ahead and leave us a comment, rate us, review us. All that helps. And stay tuned. We will be doing a basketball podcast very shortly as well. Thank you. Bye. Thank you.